Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact podcast, episode 40. And today we are heading back to our conversation about your speaking career, particularly as a woman really trying to figure out how to price yourself correctly, where you're kind of finding the right gigs, how you can evaluate opportunities, and honestly, just figure out how to be a little bit more confident in your story. Today's guest, Jasmine Williams, is both a top-notch speaker that I met through the Mic Drop Workshop with Jess Ekstrom, who we both love um, and have been like social media friends with for like the last two years, but she's also an independent speaking coach for women. So she had a lot of great wisdom to share. I'm so excited for you guys to have this conversation and hopefully get a little bit more confident and a little bit more pep in your step when it comes to planning out your speaking career. So without further ado, I'm going to let the woman of the hour, Jasmine Williams, introduce herself, tell us a little bit about her, and also how she learned how to stop half-assing it in life. Take it away, Jasmine. Thank you. So my name is Jasmine Williams, and I am a Maryland girl born and raised. I have left a couple times, but I always seem to find my way back to the old line state. So here I am. And originally, I started off wanting to be a journalist and whenever people ask me where that came from I really don't know it's probably from watching too much Gilmore Girls so I originally wanted to be a journalist and that kind of morphed into this love of speaking and love of public speaking so after I had been through quite a few crazy experiences in college I noticed that I was starting to be asked to speak so I would be asked to speak on campus to faculty and staff. I would be asked to speak at other colleges or to other college students. And then it was like one day I woke up and realized, wait, I'm a speaker. Like I don't just go places to speak. I'm an actual speaker. Mm -hmm. And so after doing that for quite a few years, I noticed that a lot of other women were uncomfortable with speaking opportunities. And not just in the traditional sense, like a speaker on a stage in an audience, but anywhere that they really had to speak in front of a group of people. And so that really kind of drove me to also become a speaking coach. So right now I am both an adversity and resilient speaker and a speaking coach. Mm, I love that. But let me hear yeah, I question on that. I just was hearing a statistic about, and I'm going to screw up the numbers, but it was something like public speaking was overall the number two largest like fear people had after death. Yes. Like it literally went dying, public speaking. Do that is you accurate. think that's so crazy, by the way? Like it's not Insane. that terrifying. <laughs> but do you think, like, is that a little bit more gender skewed or is that really just like across the board, men and women, everybody, any human is just like, don't give me a microphone or put me in front of a group of people. 
I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually looked up the stat for a presentation I just did. And I think according to the National Institutes of Mental Health, it is like 74%, 78%, somewhere around there okay. of people have a fear or anxiety about public speaking. So like three out of every four people pretty much, which is like you said, like that's just insane. Yeah. Um, and I, in my personal experience, I see a lot of women struggle with this in particular, but I think it, I think it kind of is one of those things that touches everyone. Mm -hmm. um, even the best public speakers have situations where they're a little bit nervous, they have a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety. And I think we need to normalize that so that people recognize it's okay to be nervous before you speak, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you shouldn't speak at all, right? Right. I will. And I, you know, coming from like a pageant background, I always remember hearing people say something about nerves, like when they got really used to it. Right. And that they're just used to the shows and they would say, no, of course I still get nervous too. And they're like, the day that you kind of stop getting nervous, like have at least like a little bit of something in your belly is the day that you kind of stopped caring. Yes. So I always antiquate like a little bit of nerves. You still care. You're still care that you're like delivering this value. So yeah, I don't, I think people need to understand like the nerves never go away. <laughs> Never. 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 And I completely agree with you. I think mm -hmm. even like for things for work, people are like, I can't even give a presentation at work without being nervous. And I'm like, congratulations, you actually care about your job. <laughs> like exactly. if you didn't care at all, that would be as your employer, if I were your employer, that would be more concerning because that means you're almost like a little bit arrogant. Like, I don't care how this. Oh, I totally get it. All right. So went off on that one, but I want to get back to something because I feel like, and we said this before I started recording, I, you are so funny to me because I feel like we've been social media friends for like two years, but we've never talked until right now. Um, it's, so crazy. it's so weird to also have that feel like social media has a lot of downsides to it, but this idea that we feel a lot more connected to people than we ever would have, I think is the coolest part. And when I think of you for never having met you, I think of the phrase to stop half-assing it. Like I see it in like home goods or something. And I literally think of you <laughs> for that phrase. That Where did it come from? <laughs> <laughs> where did it come from? Why is that like that's stop half-assing it is your thing. So where did that come from? Yeah. So, you know, when I was a college student, I was going off, spinning off in so many different directions. I had a lot going on in my life at the time. I was struggling with a lot of grief for the first time, with a lot of anxiety for the first time. And I was one of those people, you know, being a really young adult, like 18, 19 years old. I just didn't feel like I had the bandwidth to deal with all of that, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, at the age I am now, I could say, okay, something's going on in my life. Let me sit down and address it, right? Talk through it, figure it out. But as a college student, I just didn't, I wasn't there yet. I wasn't mature enough to, to deal with things in that way yet. And so instead of processing things and dealing with things, I kind of padded myself with distractions, right? So if I was grieving or if I was really anxious, instead of leaning into that and exploring that, I would say, okay, look, here's another club I can join on campus. I'm going to join this club and be the vice president of this other club, right? <laughs> or I would say, oh, oh, I, there's this incredible internship opportunity. I'm going to do this on top of everything else I'm already doing. 
And so my resume was phenomenal. I was in every club. And if there wasn't a club, I made the club and like <laughs> in everything. And um, in hindsight, so many people saw that as like me just being this overachiever, super driven, ambitious young woman. And in reality, that was me running from things and distracting myself from things. And I finally woke up one morning and realized I'm not doing all of these things because I love them or because I'm passionate about them, but I'm doing them because they're distracting me from things I don't want to deal with. And so at that point, I kind of committed to myself that I had to stop half-assing things in my life. And that to me meant I can't do everything and half-ass a million little things, right? I can't be in every club. I can't be the best at everything and the 4.0 at everything and above and beyond in every aspect of your life, right? It's just not sustainable and it's not realistic. And so I committed, I said, you know what? I'm not going to half-ass stuff anymore. I'm only going to do something if I really want to do it and I can really commit to being all in for whatever that is. But I'm not going to have a resume that's 40 pages anymore. I'm not going to do things just to kind of check the box or just to have the distraction. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of how that um, came to be. And I noticed as soon as I started saying it, like, just like you said, you always think of me. A lot of people tell me that. And <laughs> yeah. I love, my favorite thing is when someone says it back to me now, like when someone in my life catches me and they're like, you're half-assing stuff. <laughs> like, please don't use my words against me. Right. I felt, I mean, honestly, I felt very personally attacked in your whole explanation of like, cause that was me in college. It was like a resume that looked like a mile long, but I was not fully like into anything, which is hard when you do take those leadership positions too. Cause you're like, I can do it. I can take it. But, and you can't, so like you just literally can't. So what an attack. I also agree with you. I love when our family members or like our friends will be like, mm, didn't you, uh, yeah. Didn't you oh, we're that? doing that anymore. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and attack me. <laughs> I love that. So, okay. So this kind of decision you're going through like the emotional process of kind of just checking yourself, which I think most people literally will never do in their lives ever, um, is have that moment of, I'm not like fully committing to anything that I'm doing. And I'm also just feeling kind of lost in where I'm going. So how did that kind of transform you? And you said your speaking career was a slow process, right? Like you just were slowly getting asked to do things. Like, how did you kind of come to that moment, like you said earlier, where you woke up and you're like, hey, wait a minute, I'm a speaker. Yeah. So I started speaking on my college campus. Mm -hmm. And I think, ironically enough, again, I got into it because I was so involved on campus. And one of the first, I'll say, real speeches that I ever did I was asked to speak to faculty and staff on campus at one of their like all hands meetings. And it was in like the biggest auditorium on campus. There were over, probably over a thousand staff and faculty members sitting there. And I was asked to kind of just come and give my story and talk about my background and what I loved about the school and things like that. And I remember being so pumped about it, like to the point that I was standing in my dorm room with note cards, like practicing in front of the mirror. And one of my roommates came in and she's like, 
aren't you just like kind of like talking about like your experience? And I was like, yeah, why? And she's like, so why do you have note cards? <laughs> like, you know, your experience, you don't need to practice that. Yeah. Um, and I realized that I was really invested in things like that. Like I took mm -hmm. it very seriously to be asked to speak somewhere. And I looked at it like a job, like another group project or something, right? That I really had to do my homework and prepare. And I think that was kind of what led me into it. And the more I did it, the more I just absolutely loved it. And as I started to speak at other colleges is probably the first time that I started to think of myself as, oh, I am actually a speaker. Yeah. Can I ask you a weird question that I feel like doesn't get asked a lot? I think when people talk about their careers and how they felt it was always like, you know, were people like supportive or actively unsupportive, but something you just said kind of resonated with me. Have you ever felt almost like ambition shamed? Oh yeah. Like the fact that you're like practicing and they're like, why are you practicing so hard? Like, why do you care? And I'm not trying to like shit on your roommate. Cause I don't know anything about her, but like, have you ever felt that? I feel yes. like we hear about people being supportive or unsupportive, but then there's a lot of people that are just like, why do you care so much? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think when you're doing something that's considered small or small at the time, people are like, why do you care so much? Mm. But then once everyone else sees the vision that you see and they see how big it's become, it's, mm -hmm. it makes more sense to them. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's difficult. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs or even, you know, people that have started their own nonprofits like you can relate to is you have this vision and you know what this business or this nonprofit or this speaking thing that you're doing is going to turn into, but other people don't know it yet. And so to them, it's like, why are you spending so much time doing this? Why are you doing all these podcast interviews, right? Like they don't see the vision that you see. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for, for people like us, it's just important for you to remember what that vision is because mm -hmm. you might not always get that, that push from people around you since they don't get it. Right. I, I always think that's a really interesting topic, especially people that I think kind of like you and I are like right here, like we've, we've started it, we're doing it, you know, we're not like Sarah Blakely's yet, but we're in that like, yet, <laughs> yet. but it's like, we try. we're right here. And I feel like there's a lot of people that give it that side eye where it's like, all right, you're trying really hard on this. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. All right. So I'm trying to get this back. I feel like I'm going on so many side tangents with you. I'm so sorry. So, okay. You are you are a speaker. You're now also a coach for other female speakers. What is the number one thing that people need when they are crafting their speech and particularly their first one, right? Like if they're getting ready, what do they need? I would say the number one thing you need when you're working on a speech is perspective because over the years, you will give so many speeches to so many audiences about so many different things, right? It could be everything from, like, I consider job interviews almost a form of a speech, right? So all over the course of your career, you'll do so many of these types of speeches. But the most important thing when you're sitting down to prepare is to consider and just keep that perspective. Because at the end of the day, what I always remind people of who I'm working with is your speech is not about you. 
It's about the audience. Mm -hmm. And so you may be sitting here saying, you know, if we go off the job interview example again, these are my career highlights. These are the things I want to focus on, want to promote about myself. Mm -hmm. But if that's not what the interviewer needs to hear in order to hire you, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Right? So you may have killed it in your previous job managing websites. But if this job you're interviewing for is running social media accounts, again, like you're, you're not comparing apples to apples. And that's really the most important thing you can do is just have that perspective about who your audience is and what they need to hear, mm -hmm. not what you want to say. And that can be really, really hard sometimes. Oh yeah. Cause then you have to work backwards after you answer that question, mm -hmm. which is really not how we're taught to do things. We know that you're strong and empowered. We know that you want to make an incredible impact on this world. And thankfully, there's an online boutique for you to represent that message every day. The Ona Boutique has two lines of t-shirts and engraved gold bar necklaces to remind you that you're capable of incredible impact on this world. And the proceeds benefit Operation Not Alone, a Wisconsin-based nonprofit supporting our troops, veterans, and mental health initiatives all across the country. Head to theownaboutique.com to shop their collections and get free shipping with the code IMPACT. That's theownaboutique.com and use code IMPACT. So I want to know a little bit, because this is, you know, like your full career path that you've, you've gone into. What was it look, what did it look like for you from a business like perspective where you're like, okay, like I like speaking, you know, I'm going to put all this effort towards it, like, and kind of going towards charging and making this model where now like you are making an income off of it. What was it? Cause I feel like that's, that's a mental transition that you have to do. And then Absolutely. you also have to start like being really stern on like seeing that through. So can you talk to us about that transition from, cause I think a lot of people do speeches for, for teachers, for their school, for churches. And there's a very weird pivotal moment when you have to start charging. So yeah, talk to us about that. That is such an important question. And mm -hmm. it is probably the most awkward thing for speakers is the transitions. And there's more than one transition as a speaker, mm -hmm. right? There's like the transition from free to paid, then the transition from whatever your entry paid rate is to what your new paid rate is. And, mm -hmm. and then some speakers will even go up another third level, depending on, you know, if you have a book or a big business or something like that. Right. And it's really, it's awkward. It's a very awkward <laughs> process. Yeah. And something that I really remind people is for every speech, you really need to weigh what it's worth to you. So for example, if, Harvard called you tomorrow and wanted you to come speak to their school of business. Like mm -hmm. if it was me, I'll do that speech for free because it's Harvard. Right. <laughs> um, but for some people they're like, no, like that's, you got to book my flight. You got to get me a hotel. Right. So it really depends for you as the speaker, like where your non-negotiables are right. and depend and you really have to pick what those are and what your dream place is that you would speak for free or your, the events that you would speak for free. So for example, you know, what I do as a speaking coach is a little bit different from what I speak about as an adversity speaker. Mm -hmm. 
But if someone said, hey, you know, we want you to come speak at our entrepreneurship conference. And I'm like, ooh, an entrepreneurship conference might have a lot of people that want to work on their public speaking skills with a public speaking coach, right? So that may be something where I'm like, hmm, they're not the, the payments a little bit lower than what I normally take, but this is, this could be an opportunity for me to find clients. Mm -hmm. So again, you really kind of have to weigh each opportunity with what is it worth to you and what are your priorities as the speaker? Because again, it's for a lot of people, it's not an all or nothing thing. Um, I would say, unless you are like a Sarah Blakely or Rachel Hollis, you're probably not getting paid for every speech. Even huge speakers do podcast interviews and things like that. And they're not being paid for them because they have to weigh the balance of when is it worth my time? Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the biggest challenge. Right. For sure. So when you are working with women, even with yourself and trying to like determine what that just for like an average rate would be. Um, Is there a lot of, I would assume there's a lot of kind of like mental hurdles people have to get over, especially when it comes to like pricing yourself as a speaker, Mm -hmm. because sometimes it feels like an unnatural thing to charge for because you're like, I love it. This is what I talk about day in and day out. Like you probably talk about like adversity and how to overcome it day in and day out you know, and there's a weird mental hurdle to get over that. So how do you help people kind of bridge that gap of like, you do love this and you, you, I'm sure you would speak for free anyway, but here's how we also have to like pay our mortgage. Yes. I think that's a a great, that is so important. And Mm -hmm. it's your perspective on that is spot on. Um, (laughs) Usually what I tell my coaching clients who are trying to make the transition from free to paid is Once you position yourself as a paid speaker, you are automatically seen as a higher caliber expert in whatever your field is. So for example, if I was looking for a therapist and someone was posting on Instagram, like I will give anyone therapy for free, whatever you need, whatever kind of thing, I would be like, there is no way in hell I'm going to that (laughs) therapist. Like, no, 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 no. Like I want the best therapist, even if that means I have to pay even more for them. right? Right. So part of it is that part of it is you making that mindset shift to saying, if I am an expert, if I am the best and I know I am the best at what I'm speaking about, I have to charge for that because Mm -hmm. saying to everyone, oh, I'll just do it for free whenever you feel like, or however much you think is okay, Susan would be fine with me. And if you want to pay for my flight, that's fine. But if not, no biggie, you know, and that's what we see a lot with, Mm -hmm. with early speakers. So setting that, that rate and being, you know, really committed when you're negotiating or when you're even pitching yourself to whatever that rate is that you set is, it's huge. Mm -hmm. I think it's so hard too, because so with my, my general business coach, Kylie Hodges, one of the things that she had to like hammer out with me was there were so many opportunities I was doing and I was like well it'd be a great exposure and I was like and something to add to my portfolio and like another you know like logo to have on my website that that's where I spoke and she was like you don't need to keep building your she's like you have a portfolio she's like you're fine like you can start doing this and it was a really weird like moment I think of stop like that you have to reach a point where you stop validating all the time and just kind of go yes 
Yeah. And do that's harder that for female entrepreneurs in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Do you deal with that with some of your other clients? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you have to weigh, is this worth your time? Does it make sense for me to speak here or do an article, you know, on this website or whatever the opportunity is? I love that you just brought up exposure, by the way, because you get exposure. And I saw this incredible TikTok that someone did, the exposure that she was paid. And it was literally just just her pouring empty things into an empty bowl and an empty glass of wine. And she's like, this is what I can afford to make with what you're paying me for exposure. And I loved that. I, it was so sassy and so on point. I'll have to find it and send it to you. Cause it's Please. that good. <laughs> That's I mean, but just the metaphor. <laughs> yes, it's really exactly. Dark. Like people have real bills and real responsibilities Mm-hmm. And just like every other industry, like you wouldn't want, you wouldn't call and negotiate with someone to do your taxes. If your CPA says it costs X, you would be like, okay, here's the money. I'll, you know, transfer yeah. it to you or whatever. And that's it. Um, mm-hmm. But speaking as one of those really unique industries where there's a lot of negotiation. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's, so I think what's funny about speaking is that it can be a really good moneymaker. It can be a great income stream for you if you kind of nail a lot of these, you know, pieces to the formula down. And what I think is funny is for, there's so many similarities between this and nonprofits though, because a nonprofit salary is usually, it's very small. It's declared on taxes, like anyone can go look up what you're making. And there's a lot of, you know, oh, like how much do I want like my donation to go to overhead and salaries? It's this weird conversation. But the same thing happens with speakers where it's like, but it's just, and this is what's funny. It's like, it's just words coming out of your mouth. I don't understand why I have to pay like this much money for it. And it's like, you didn't say that to Taylor Swift. You like you put a lot of money out to go see her. Mm-hmm. Also have well song. You know what I mean. I'm going off yeah. on a weird like tangent to it, but I think it's interesting that people have a lot of those when it's not a hard and fast. Like if your therapist was like, it's two hundred dollars a week. Do you want to work with me? You wouldn't be like, but could you do it for a hundred instead? Yeah. Just, what about one eighty? Can we meet in the middle on this? Like, no, right. you, we can't. Right. You like, either want it or you don't. Every other profession, we just accept the rate. But things mm-hmm. like this, it's like, mm, but could you not? Yeah. <laughs> it's just very. And awkward. I've noticed that uh, smaller speakers tend to deal with this a lot more too. Mm. Whereas speakers who have like a booking agent or someone who, you know, speaks on their behalf to clients, a lot of times they have an easier time with it because they have that separation between them and the client. Mm. So it's not you as the talent negotiating with the person that's going to work with you. You have like an assistant or a booking manager or someone like that who does that on your behalf. Interesting. Which... And is that only because it makes the the person hiring you feel like you're just that much more of a, a I don't think person? So. I mean, I think booking managers are fantastic. Like some of them, you know, they're doing a lot of like the lead generation for the speaker. So they may be looking up opportunities for you, sending, you know, pitching you via email. Mm-hmm. They may be doing negotiation calls on your behalf and things like that because 
obviously bigger speakers, if you're speaking like multiple times a week, you may need someone to do more of those day-to-day -day admin types of tasks. And that can be really helpful too. Right. Okay. No, I'm just thinking, cause I feel like, but there's a weird psychology there of, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell your booking agent or your manager, no, as <laughs> easy as I'll tell no to your face or ask for a discount. I just, I think that's psychologically, that's very interesting. That, yes, it is. Interesting. I, so quick question, do you have, and I'm sure there's a lot, but do you have a dream speech that you want to give like a dream like conference or play even like a feeling because I know that there's at some point in my life I will be complete if I could like go out for a speaking engagement and there's somehow like flames like on the stage like, that's like funny. your vision <laughs> that's I, I don't know where that. that that's phenomenal oh my god it's something not like not like accidental flames like very intentional like <laughs> <laughs> like that's not like the lights are on fire <laughs> no not like this is a state of emergency but I mean, do you have like a dream speech that like you want to give before like your time as a speaker is up yeah I think a TEDx I still haven't done a TEDx yet so that's on my list for sure but probably my number one like bucket list speech that I want to do is a Forbes conference and I think preferably like a Forbes 30 under 30 type of conference, just because I feel like those are still my people. Um, hopefully by the time I, I do that conference, I will still be under 30, but we'll, we'll see how things are going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see when we can actually do in-person events again. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I totally hear you, especially on the Ted talk thing. I think that's like every speaker at some point will have that like urge of like, but I Yes. So I think that's really funny. No, I do love that. Um, I, and none of these are the questions that I sent over for you ahead of time. So I'm so sorry, but is there anything that you do? And I, cause I find this fascinating with entrepreneurs, with speakers, with whatever, like, is there anything that you do to really pump yourself up to know like, Hey, like I can land a Forbes conference speaking gig. Like, is there anything that you do just to pump yourself up, get yourself ready? Let's see. I have it right here. So I have Rachel Hollis's Start Today Journal. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, I, but basically <laughs> every day you write down five things you're grateful for and then 10 dreams that you made happen. Mm -hmm. So one of my 10 dreams is, is I'm featured in Forbes. Like that's mm -hmm. in here. I write it every single day. Yeah. And so I've had things that, that I wrote as part of my start today journal kind of practice that I've accomplished. And then, you know, I, I replaced them with something else. And I feel like for me, it's become a very intentional manifestation practice. Mm -hmm. Like the art of writing things down, at least for me, I'm a writer and a speaker, but, um, the art of writing things down really makes them concrete for me. I'm sure you can see my, my nice yeah. whiteboard here. Um, and so when I write them every single day, I feel like it's less of, oh, you know, one day I would love to do that. It feels less aspirational mm -hmm. and it feels more intentional. Like this is my list. It's just a matter of when. And I love that. It really kind of like lights that fire under me. And every single day when you write it, it just, it reminds you like, this is what you're working towards. Hmm. 
And for me, that's, that's the motivation I need. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I have the same journal, so I do the same activity, but it is funny that it's like, you know, if someone else presents something to you, that's like, wouldn't you ever love going to the moon? And you're like, sure, that would be great, I guess, but it's not, you're not nearly as like, but if you wrote down every day, like I'm going to go to the moon, like for, I love space travel. Like it feels a lot different to like really drill it into your head. So I love that advice. Um, And I guess my last question to you is also that you wrote an ebook, which is super cool, which is all about different like tips and things for speakers. And my question to that is, because I think people like us love giving a lot of tips, (laughs) but if the whole book, like if you had to throw the whole thing away and no one could ever like read it again, what would be the one takeaway or the one tip that you want people to know about it? Oh, that's so hard. I oh know. Gosh. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been asked that kind of question, but that's a really good question. Um, let's see. The one takeaway I would give from the ebook. I think the biggest thing would be I have this like framework that I use to write my speeches. Mm-hmm. And so I really map that out in my connecting with the audience guide in that ebook. And I think that like framework, that three-step process that I use to write my speeches and that I share so that other people can try it and see if it works for them. I think that's what I would, I think I have to keep that in. Even if I took everything else out, I would keep that in there. That's honestly, that's good though. Cause but that goes back to the first point that you had in the beginning, which is, what is the perspective for the audience? So I love that. That all ties together. Do you have any last like words of wisdom, any last thing that you want to share with everyone of the make an impact world? I don't have any words of wisdom, but I wanted to share something kind of funny. Um, I was cleaning this weekend and I found an award I got in middle school. Oh my God. And it says, Principal's Leadership Award presented to Jasmine Williams for serving as a role model and exemplifying leadership by overseeing the morning news show. So I <laughs> used to long host, <laughs> I used to host the morning announcements in middle school and in high school. Okay. And it's so crazy to think back like in my 20s to think that I was speaking in some form in middle school doing the morning announcements, Mm. right? And so it's so crazy as an adult to see things that you did literally decades ago that even if you didn't realize it at the time, we're kind of guiding you to where you are now. So I would say to anyone that's feeling lost, if you don't know if you're on the right career path, if you don't know what that passion that lights that spark in you is yet, Think back to your childhood and think back to the things you loved to do. And even if it's not an exact match, right? I'm not hosting the, you know, the news in the morning anymore. But um, even if it's not an exact match, kind of go off of that and just see where that guides you. Because when I found this, I was like blown away. (laughs) Like, I didn't even remember that I did the morning announcements in middle school. And so there may be something that you don't really remember even doing, you know, talk to your family, your, your friends from your childhood and 
just see what comes of it because something might surprise you. I love that. I love that story because that is super funny. But yeah, because you're right. It's not, you didn't take it as like, oh, I should quit my job and go become a news anchor. Right. But it's that hint of, oh, I actually always kind of had this in me. I love that advice. I love that you said that. Oh my gosh. Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for also just like this chat, because like I said, it's great to finally like Zoom meet you. (laughs) Um, Where can people find you, connect with you, learn more from you, um, ebook or not? Because you share some really great things just like on social media. So where can they find you? Oh, thank you. And it's been such an honor to sit down with you. This has been so fun to, to grade through my childhood memories with you today. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but you can find the ebook and more about me on my website, which is jasminecwilliams.com. And you can also connect with me on social. I'm Jasmine C. Williams on most platforms, or my handle is Job, which is like a fun play on my name. So I'll spell that out for everyone so you guys don't get too lost. But yes, so jasminecwilliams.com and all my socials are on there as well. Yes, and I will link them on the show notes as well so people can find them there. But Jasmine, thank you again for coming on and talking to us about all things like kind of like speaking, but like money mindsets and manifestation mindsets. I, I love it. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.